and I, my daughter was with me and we had seen these elk far off and we thought they were heading for that pass you know my son was with us but he's he's skin tight he's, he's way fitter than i am now and uh he disappeared and so uh we got up there above that pass and we were watching and there was a guy in orange with an orange vest down there and i said damn who is that clown you know he's like he, he wasn't he didn't come in here from where did he come from and we were dogging on this person who was sitting there he was too close to the pass he was doing everything wrong and my daughter was like yeah who do you think that clown is you know and of course it was my son who had outrun us a hundred times faster than we could go and had established himself exactly in the right place <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I just I just think of that all the time when I'm when I'm dissing on people that I run into, you know, because I don't want them. That so on the you know talking hunting now, right? Yeah. Um, and let's kind of pull in a little conservation thing. If this thing goes on for however long, yeah. We've already seen like Washington's closed some public lands. Yeah. Idaho's tried to say, hey, like, uh, unless you already have a tag, don't come here for spring bear or spring yep. turkey, right? Yep. Um, what do you think, you know, and I I went the last couple of years to Alaska salmon fishing. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I plan on going on a caribou hunt this year, which I'm not really sure if that's going to happen either, right? Because, right. I mean, if I, have, if I have to go to Alaska and immediately 14-day quarantine, that's probably not going to make it feasible right yeah that's what i was um, thinking about the idaho uh, spring bear in turkey mm -hmm. it was yeah. like i don't know how you do it if you got to show up in quarantine 14 days before you can head out yeah i mean that's pretty boring especially when places aren't renting out hotels i mean so you can right. take a tent yeah you know maybe and, and then how do you prove that you've quarantined but how do you think this is going to change like some of the hunting and fishing if this continues on through the fall i know from our business perspective, sales have been strong. Of course, some of that's yeah. probably based on prepping. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people wish that they were more had prepped a little more, right? Yep. Yeah. But absolutely. At the same, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what does hunting season look like? I mean, I live in an OTC unit, which sometimes is really hard to get away from people. You go you can go to the most remote spot and find like there's eight people there that year. They, yeah. You know, no matter and it's like any you guys all want to pack an elk out from here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah. Um but how is that going to change? I mean, if there's if there's no real out of state hunters here? Yeah. I mean, the hunting an elk and all that would look entirely different in this unit. Yeah. I, I think that it's going to I think that that the out of state thing is going to be with us for a while. I don't know if it'll be with us in November or October, you know, but um, hopefully not. But if it is, then I think we're just going to all have to make adjustments until this is burned through. Um, there's and, and some of that will also depend on whether people are off work, because I notice a lot of people fishing right now around in remote places here. Mm -hmm. And that that's because they're not working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, went on a backpacking trip a couple of weeks ago and there were a lot of people out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was kind of surprised, but I was like, you know, the, they're saying, Hey, it's okay to go for a hike and hiking is a good thing to do or whatever. And it looked like about half the people really didn't hike that much, you know? I mean, yeah. like they were relatively new to it. So, I mean, getting people engaged that's a good thing yeah right? it is yeah 
We had a guy run into a grizzly bear up in Depuyer day before yesterday, I guess, and got got beat up kind of bad. And then um, he was out hiking, <laughs> and it and um, so that was kind of a big deal because he he had shot the bear with a pistol. And then the fishing game had to come, and they hunted the bear down. They finally they had to euthanize it because it was wounded. Uh, but I mean, like, how do you deal with stuff like that? There's more people in the mountains, you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's but I don't think that's a, more I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's just something that's like that's okay. Like that's what that's where we're at, you know. Well, there's more people in the mountains in certain areas. I mean, if they can't yeah. travel, right? yeah, if they can't. If the if the tourist can't travel to the more destination places, right. there won't be as many people. But right. perhaps the animals don't feel as pressured near as much either, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like the elk where I live, elk used to hang out in this one spot. Um, quite frankly, I, I don't want I don't want to sound like it wasn't extreme, but I mean it was you could guarantee there was elk in there and if you were in shape, I could hike into there in about 45 minutes or an hour, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's be, pretty good. Wait, wait. Yeah, which was which was good. But elk really haven't been there for about five years, right? And because yeah. one day I was hunting I was hunting first season there, and I looked down into that drainage and I counted 16 people. I was like, yeah. where did all these people come from, right? Yeah. And yeah. that was maybe eight years ago or something. And – now, I mean, it's a rarity. You see a few elk trickle just into yeah. this into this wilderness area, and that's about it. But most of them are hanging out in these hell holes that you you know yeah. would be crazy to shoot one in. So yeah, I have a question for you. Yeah what what do you think accounted for the sudden uptick in people in that one spot? Um, a few things. The first was guys like Steve and Randy, right? Exposing a yeah. different style of hunting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. and and the adult onset hunting, right? Yep, yeah. I know. I know. In my neighborhood, um, there's a lot of extreme, more extreme mountain athletes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them probably, you know, a lot of them took up hunting probably seven to eight nine years ago right yeah and started saying you know so i think there's a little bit of a crossfit component yeah i got you cross, because crossfit pushes more of a paleo lifestyle and yep. then when you when you get into paleo it says no don't go to walmart and get your burger yep. you know if you if you can eat high quality salmon or yeah. high quality game meat that's a much better choice so and yeah. then I also think the other thing is social media, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, you you didn't use you used to take a photo with your with your camera with your film camera, yeah. And you 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 would just kind of it would be your photo. You would maybe blow it up and put it on your wall, or if you're a photographer, you would sell it. But now everyone um, can um, basically take a photo and in two seconds it's online where everyone's friends can be like, Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. then, then a lot of times there's location information in there as well. Yeah. Um, and like, I've thought like uh, two years ago, Nathan who works for us and lives in Tennessee and I did a hunt and we had an agreement beforehand that we were sharing no photos 
um, okay. that showed anything of distinction. Yeah, landmarks. A, yep, and if you took a photo, you needed to put the photo on your phone and take a screenshot and then share that. Gotcha. You know, so you yep. so, so so you tried to get rid of any location information, right? Yeah, and then yeah, you know, um, and a lot of it's good stuff. I mean, like I know Nathan and I that year. We were there, and it was we had a really good trip. Um, but that year, we were like, "Wow, it's gotten a lot busier around here." Yeah, and I know the guys below below me. I mean, I saw the dudes wearing a BHA hat, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I'm like the the engagement and all that stuff is good, right? Yeah. Um, but it just also has a tendency to kind of fill up certain areas, make you have to go sure. back further and stuff as well so yeah i think i think that's true it's just fascinating to me because of it's kind of like the ecology of the way things work you know Mm -hmm. like like everything's tied to something else um i mean we have bozeman now which is like this giant pump pumping out uh mountain athletes into the backcountry to hunt montana and wyoming and that's that's got its upsides and it's got its downsides the upside is more people are engaged the downside is, is you got to run into them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Nathan said to me on that, you know, we were sitting there kind of, I don't want to say lamenting the thing. I mean, like I said, we had a really good trip. We got two nice deer and one elk in three days. Wow. And, and, and we got all of them within about 400 yards of where our tent was pitched, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was like, do you think that we may be partially responsible for this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, unfortunately, yes. You know, because, yeah. you know, we're making lighter. And I, and I actually try not to talk about our gear a whole lot on the podcast, but, you know, unless it comes up naturally, but it's like, well, we're le- making lighter gear. We're making gear that is good for these shoulder seasons when you have eight inches of snow on the ground. Yeah. Um, and things like that as well. And yep. it just, you know, but, you know, it's good, but it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, you kind of want to say it's great to get people engaged and get them out there as long as they're not in my honey hole. Right, for sure. I I have to tell you, being a travel oh, uh, and misanthropic person, Mm-hmm. I still think that the, the the positives outweigh the negatives. And I I don't know how long I'll be able to say that because I don't know if you ever read uh, Jim Stiles and the Canyon Country Zephyr and stuff in Moab. And he just hates tourism. You know, he's so sick of it um, and all that stuff. But I, I still see that more engagement in big landscapes, nature, public lands, hunting. I still see it as a positive on the scale. It, oh, I agree. It's I agree. hard for me to see it that way when so I run into people in my spot or whatever. But um, I just in, intellectually, I know it's a positive. You know, yeah, the, well, the less constituents you have, the less you're going to keep. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you on that. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, it's hard it's when you tough. get to your spot and you're yeah. like, oh, what are these people doing here? Right. Uh, Look at that uh, clown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. I was at this little pass, which it took me a long time to find. mm -hmm. And my daughter was with me 
and we had seen these elk far off and we thought they were heading for that pass you know my son was with us but he's he's ten times he's, he's way fitter than i am now and uh he disappeared and so uh we got up there above that pass and we were watching and there was a guy in orange with an orange vest down there and i said damn who is that clown you know he's like he, he wasn't he didn't come in here from where did he come from and we were dogging on this person who was sitting there he was too close to the pass he was doing everything wrong and my daughter was like yeah who do you think that clown is you know and of course it was my son who had outrun us a hundred times faster than we could go and had established himself exactly in the right place <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I just I just think of that all the time when I'm when I'm dissing on people that I run into, you know, because I don't want them there. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, and once we got down there and saw it was him, we just both kind of sheepishly laughed, you know. It was like you should have seen the things we were saying about you ten minutes ago. who's that clown (laughs) who's that clown and i was going he set up i I said i bet he works for those outfitters down there they don't really know how to hunt that much you know he's like raising the wrong place he wasn't in the wrong place he's in a perfect place but i was like (laughs) and it was our own deer flesh and blood <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. That's funny. Oh, what about what about you, Dennis? Are you running into extra people in your place, or do you have the secret spot that no one no one goes to? Yeah, I'm not going to talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's never any people where I go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's interesting. I mean, you definitely see you definitely see people, right? And and I'm. I'm one of those, right? I've only been in Colorado five years now. Um, you know, I would be a, a newbie, as it were. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to happen. Uh, Colorado kind of does it to itself, too, right? Like, we have the most over-the-counter opportunities for people. So, you don't even have to plan a trip to Colorado. You could decide, you know, September 13th to come come here and hunt. Um yeah, so I mean, it's it's just it's gonna happen, you know. Yeah. Uh, Where did you come from, Dennis? I'm from Wisconsin originally. Yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, so in spent a little bit of time in Washington State, and then uh, made it to Colorado, Western yeah. Slope. Did you come from that Wisconsin whitetail and and walleye culture? Yeah, hundred yep. percent. Yeah. Yeah. I run into yeah. those people. They used to be Pennsylvanians, Michiganders, and Wisconsinites. And so you ran into who um, they were like fairly, they were serious and they might be new to the country, but they were obviously there to kill something, mm. which is a plot, which I mean in a good way, yeah, right? For sure. I mean, I try real hard. Anyway. But I, I just remembered because yeah. they, yeah. they come from that culture. Mm hmm. Yeah. It was yep. interesting. Yeah. Yep. You grow up just fishing and hunting is a part of what you do. I mean, when I grew up, uh, I lived, we had Ryan Lampers on a couple of weeks ago and, you know, Ryan, well, he's obviously a heck of a hunter, um, but he also gardens and cans and does all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was like, when I grew up, I grew up with my grandma and we had this giant garden. I mean, I hated the thing, but yep. I primarily fished. Um, most of our meat was whitetail. Um, my grandma, you know, she basically offered butchering services for a quarter of a deer. 
So we yeah. had a lot of deer around. She canned a lot of meat. She even made her own wine. I mean, we were pretty self-sufficient in a homesteady sort of way. In fact, I was kind of joking with Angie a couple of days ago that this whole social distancing and delivery of groceries isn't that different yeah. um, from where I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, yeah. Because like the milkman came and he brought yep. milk and eggs. And so my grandma went to the store like every couple of weeks and just bought poor things to make things. But, yep. but the bulk of our stuff was, you know, if milk and eggs came and we had a bunch of deer canned and a lot of vegetables canned and a lot of it in the basement, you know, we didn't really need to go anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, that's wow. an interesting concept, right? That they used to just deliver milk to everybody's doorstep all the time. Like yep. food de food deliveries is like just a thing. Yeah. yeah. And like when my grandmother's day in Montgomery, Alabama, the they delivered groceries because many people didn't have cars. Right? So there was a grocery delivery was very normal back then. So it is. I mean, some of these things had been done you know, back in, back in the day, I guess you would say. Yeah. And now we're kind of partially reverting back, but for a while we were like, well, we have cheap oil and everyone has a car and we can do whatever yeah. we want. I mean, yeah. myself, I'm kind of like, this is, I normally drive four to 500 miles a week because I normally go to Grand Junction once yep. um, during the week. Um, and then I go, I've driven like 60 miles in the last two weeks. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like, uh, okay. Yeah. So, that's uh, us too. Us too. Cause I, great falls is 52 miles away and we used to do a grocery run in there every like eight days or whatever. And I hadn't, it's been way longer than that since we've been there. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to do what, do what's right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, before we get uh, too far, like I wanted, I wanted to ask you about the prepper aspect because, like, there's a weird way. Um, I don't know what it is, but like, you know, have you ever noticed when you're thinking of something or feeling something really strongly, you start noticing it as kind of a zeitgeist in the in the country. Mm -hmm. And I think that like the this, like I'm so glad to have your tent and your stove right now. And the stuff I've gotten from you, like uh, when I when my children were really little, we kept a VE25, water filters, you know, a gun, of course, and ammo, and all this stuff, just like in a in a, a very large bug out duffel, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a paranoid at all, like General uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper used to say. People say I'm paranoid because I carry a gun. I tell them, Hey, man, I'm not paranoid. I got a super nice gun. You know, I don't have mm -hmm. to be paranoid, um, but we weren't paranoid. We just were responsible for two toddlers. And so we were, by, by some definition of the word, we were preppers, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm still that way. And I think that that's a, that's a current that's running through America right now. And I, I know you're seeing it, an uptick in business because of that. But like, what do you think that? What do you think that's gonna do? Do you think that's gonna be a flash in the pan, or do you think that's gonna be with us for a long time? So you know, I think that um, from my own personal experience, because I had one young toddler, and yeah. uh, when nine eleven happened, yeah, and when nine eleven happened, I thought, you know, we should um, kind of be a little more prepper based right yeah um ourselves and so 
we did that for quite a while. And I mean, now, you know, one of my children is 17. Um, the other one is 20. Um, they know how to hunt. Yeah. They know how to fish. They know how to do those things. So we've probably relaxed that a little bit. Yeah. The me last too. few years. Um, but, you know, when we first moved to this house, we had a big garden. We had chickens. We were pretty self-sufficient, right? Yeah. Except for, you know, going out to eat and stuff like that. Um, now, seek outside. On the other note, we have, I know we have a prepper business, right? We work yeah. with some preppers, right? And I don't mean like we work with them, like we pay them to promote or anything yeah. like that. But I mean, I see, I see preppers post on social media um, about our tent and stove or prepping with it. And we get approached by um, preppers occasionally that want to, um, you know, want us to try to monetize that. And yeah. I know that, and I know that we've had people where they've bought, you know, the whole family, like a six man teepee and stove. Set, yep. Right. Yeah. Where, where a father's been like, I'm getting my whole family this just so yep. they're safe. Right. Um, so I know that that goes on, but we've, we've never, when people have said, Hey, do you want to try to market to this guy, this guy, everyone will buy what he tells them to. And we don't, yeah, we don't, gotcha. we, right. we don't try to exploit it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I look at us as we are a backpacking and hunting and wilderness adventure, you know, yep. company. Right. Um, that being said, this is a true story. Probably four or five years ago, had a lady call who was prepping. She wanted a teepee and stove uh, and a pack. And she worked for the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and she was planning this whole bug out thing right uh -huh. it kind of kind of raises <laughs> kind of raises the hair and when when the department of homeland security is calling you up and prepping right yeah. Uh, yeah. they're like they're like i see myself in the mountains somewhere between here <laughs> and here and yeah. this is serious and so i mean there's going to be there's going to be some of and I don't think yeah. um, prepping is a bad thing. In fact, I know that, you know, like Nathan, who works for us, you know, I was chatting with him when this happens. He lives in rural Tennessee outside of Nashville. Yeah. And, and, and you know, he's, he's kind of a southern, southern redneck who hunts and stuff. You know what I mean? So, you, yeah. you know. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and he was, yeah. And he was like, he's like, Tell you the truth, I wish I would have prepped a little more. You know, yeah. He's like, I'm not really a prepper, and I mean, I've talked to someone else recently too, who um, I consider a pretty good friend, and he was like, Well, I'm not really a prepper, but I'm I'm buying more food than normal. You know, we yep. usually try to adhere to our budget, but we're going to stash a couple extra months of food. Yeah. So, I think this is making everyone take notice. Yeah. I mean, when this when this initially happened, you saw most of the hunters posting online, hey, I don't have to worry about my freezer. Right, right. right. And, and I mean, yeah, I have three freezers that are in use. Only really two of them are mostly meat. Um, yeah. But, but it was like, well, phew, you know, as everyone's running around looking for meat, uh, yep. we're doing all right. Now, we, yeah. we seek outside. We bought our employees like 200 pounds of meat from a local butcher shop and delivered it to them 
because gotcha. in the bigger city of Grand Junction, which is probably not really any bigger than Great Falls, it was yeah. like every, everyone had bought up all the meat. So yeah, yeah. And see, I don't even know if that was true around Great Falls because we had our meat already in the freezer. Um, we don't. We didn't have to look for it. Uh, although uh, we did talk with a. My neighbor bought a half a cow, a half a steer, and they went up there and shot it and skinned it and, and butchered it themselves, you know, for like a discount. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in that. And I, I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. Um, as long as you get a good one, we used to buy, we used to buy uh, cows and we had one that was, I don't know what was, uh, he must have just found a dead cow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of them was really rough. The others were, yeah. were pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that Junction was basically out of meat at that time either. But yeah. um, because I didn't need to buy any. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, we buy a little bit of bacon and maybe right. I do too. some, yep, and I do some too. and that's about it, you know. so Yeah, I would buy organic or, uh, you know, like well cared for lard if I could get it too. Yeah. How is it? now you, know, you mentioned that you'd been starting plant plant, you know, you, you had been starting uh planting garden and stuff like that a little bit more. Yeah, um, we put a so. bunch of starts in, which we used to just go to Great Falls and buy starts. I mean, where I live where I live and where you live is not that different. I mean, it's a short growing season. Mm-hmm. And like there's a lot of years where we, we get a pretty good garden going and there'll be these enormous hailstorms right in July. And they just pulverize it. <laughs> yeah, we've had, we kind of, we gardened probably the first five years we were here yeah. pretty well. But but it, because it's kind of high altitude, it was real touch and go. I mean, sometimes yeah. you get a freeze in June. Sometimes yeah, us too. freeze in August. Um, and we are at the low part in the valley. I mean, it's kind of funny, like our neighbor literally probably lives 10 vertical feet higher than us. Yeah, but it's enough to not be at the low point. So if we get to twenty eight, he's at thirty three. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, I mean, when we lived in the Bitterroot, uh, we had huge gardens and stuff, and it was just like a very uh, benevolent climate, you know, compared mm-hmm. to this far north. No, I would I would agree. Right. I think uh, that Missoula area has got a relatively. I mean. I know people think that it gets pretty cold and stuff, and I'm not an expert. But the times I've been there in the spring, it's been relatively. Mild. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty good growing season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and then like when I, growing up in Alabama, we had big gardens, and my parents canned, and they did all this stuff. But uh, the bugs were so fierce at times that we would lose entire like all your squash, all your beans, like in one fell swoop. You know. Hmm. Yeah, Texas kind of like that at times too. Yeah, so, I mean there, there's there's pros and cons. I, I remember when the organic farm movement started, a lot of them moved to around North Carolina mm-hmm. at a, at about four thousand to five thousand feet because they would get the number of days that were freezing cold to kill some of the pests. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I ran into you at Shot Show, yeah, Dennis and I ran into you at Shot Show. You invited us to go hang out over by uh, Gold Butte, right? Yes, yes. And I, and I know you've done some stuff um, 
with the Bundys or you, that you have paid a lot of attention to the Bundys. Yep. So, and that you were, you spent like, wasn't it like a month at mall hair or something? No, it was really just a few days. Um, but, uh, that essay I wrote from there was based on following that. And then I finally lost patience and, and drove over there and hung out with all the people, you know, for a couple of days. But, um, I just followed that for a long time because you, you could see that this was a movement that had resonance across. I mean, it, you think of it as a Latter-day Saints movement, you know, but it had resonance across into militias and whatnot, which had nothing to do with, with Mormon beliefs, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I knew, I knew, I always knew that was going to be a big thing. And it has been. Um, I went by the Bundy's ranch in Bunkerville when I was down there right after I saw you. Mm-hmm. And I wrote them on Facebook and asked if I could come and visit, but I, they didn't get it. And I thought that it would be rude to just drive in. Yeah. So I, I did. So I didn't meet them. I went by their ranch and I went to Gold Butte and I saw their cows. Um, and uh, but I have not met them since I I, I talked. I, I met Ammon at the mall here refuge, but I didn't really talk to him. He doesn't really talk. They don't really talk with you. They talk to you. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of discourse. They're uh, they're pretty sure they've got the world figured out. So how did they get to that point? I mean, it seems that they feel that whatever they're doing is absolutely right. I'm not sure how you get that kind of certainty in this world. Um, I think religion has a lot to do with it. But uh, one of the things, let me, let me bid, we'll give the, this is really, I'm glad you asked me this because, dude, <laughs> they moved where the Virgin River goes into Lake Mead is where mm-hmm. their ranch is. Mm-hmm. And it is the Mojave Desert south all the way to Lake Mead Recreation Area, which is like 40 miles south. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you one thing, buddy. They moved to the harshest part of the United States, the hottest harsh part, like not the Arctic, right? Mm-hmm. And they freaking held on there. And they had a bunch of kids, and their kids are around, and their Bunkerville was settled by these Mormon pioneers. And um, I think a lot of it is just a kind of perhaps um, inordinate pride in in making it. And, and, like, they picked a place that nobody else wanted. And so I'm, I'm, I'm being maybe overly nice about Clavin Bundy and his family. Mm-hmm. But they picked a place that absolutely nobody else could make it or would want to try. And then they made it. And then when the regulations to protect the, the desert tortoise and, and you know, the concept of AUMs, animal unit months, on, on public land. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that just absolutely infuriated them completely because they considered that they were in a place where nobody else could make it or would want to. And then here comes somebody telling them what to do. And uh, if I, I, there, I have, I, I relate to that, but at the same time, the movement is destructive and they're being used as pawns by a larger privatization or state transfer movement. But, so it's kind of like if you went out in the wilderness and you just 
went out and you did say like a dick prone key style thing, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and you went out there and you just made your own thing and you're like, I'm tough as nails. This is my place. No one's going to tell me what to do. Yep. And then you, you get it done. You have all your pride. And next thing you know, the tax assessor comes walking up by you and like, okay, this is going to be $2,500 per year. Yep. And yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could yeah. see that. I mean, and I, and I was driving, so I was camping down on Gold Butte, which is incredible, by the way. And there's a there's an incredible trip to be made from the Whitney Pocket south to the uh, Lake Mead National Recreation Area. You need four wheel drives and carry your own gas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is really amazing country, and um, I was camped up on this this hill, and you know the Bundys came by with a truck way down below and a and a uh, trailer and they're going out to rope what are basically wild cows that they've got out there and there's not a whole lots and lots of cows around they're just it's a desert <laughs> but then again they, they moved to like one of the harshest places and said oh we're gonna farm this and raise cattle we're gonna I mean, hold on here raise cattle um, they didn't come up with the melon farming down there on their little piece of flatland. I mean, they only have 160 acres, as I understand it. And they came up with this melon farm on their one piece of flatland down by the Virgin River. Mm-hmm. And I think they grow really great melons. That's what everybody says. But then they have this kind of feral cow business on the side. And um, they run them on public land and they don't pay and they don't listen to anybody. And, uh, I mean, I, I, got, I finally got why, like, other Americans identified with the Bundys. They want to be tough and self-sufficient and out there in the Mojave Desert with the hat on, too. <laughs> you know, when you're in your cubicle at the insurance agency and you imagine yourself as wasting your life when you could be heroically riding the range, yeah. You're probably on the Bund- you're probably on the Bundy Ranch Facebook page when you're supposed to be selling insurance. <laughs> and yeah, I- 